Well, hello and welcome back to A Voice in the Distance Ministries as we are now starting a new book. And for me, I'm very excited about it, but I don't know about other listeners. (laughs) The reason being is because we're going to be starting the book of Leviticus, probably one of the most... Uh, avoided books in the Bible next to the book of Numbers and you know, another one would probably be uh, the Song of Solomon And but it's a shame though because you know we, we miss out on things that, that, that we really just uh, that maybe we just fear uh, we, we fear certain books because of the, the uh, lack of understanding and so what I want to tell you is that look listen up to this message because I'm going to do all the work for you you know, nobody wants to read it and stuff, and and because it's it goes right over their head, and so well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and do it for you because I want you to to see the 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 richness in this book, and so but you know we're fooled by by certain things at times, okay? Like when we think of the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers was was an anglicized version or from a Greek version, okay? Because in in the Jewish Bible in the Tanakh. The title of the book of Numbers was the um, was the wilderness journey. So if we had it under the wilderness journey journey instead of Numbers, then chances are more people would probably be um, more people would probably be more willing and able to uh, uh, to read it. But Leviticus is probably also again probably one of the more avoided books in the Bible. And so I want to bring things to life a little bit with it because. We're just in chapter one, and I was, you know, again, just blown away by it. But you know, let me give give some insight on this book. You know, a little bit of an intro to it, because again, the, the Hebrew title of, uh, of this book would have been different. And uh, the, in the Hebrew tra- title of this book, it would have been uh, titled as He Called or and He Called, being God. Okay, because we had the book of Genesis, which means the, the, in the beginning, the origin, and Exodus, which is what that means is in the exiting of. But the title of Leviticus, that was a title that came from the Latin. Okay, so, and, and what, what it translates is, is the matters of the Levites, which was the Levite priesthood. So, it's really an interesting book because, again, it's, it's, it's the roots of where a lot of things happen for us in our society even not just not just within uh, the priesthood but of how a lot of the things that uh, we adopted in our society came about from this book as well uh now as for new testament writers they we the new testament um had the book of leviticus quoted about 15 times in the new testament and so the uh, the importance of this book was is that in, especially in the Jewish culture, that if you were a Jewish male, this was the first book that you were taught. Because Leviticus is, is considered like the manual for worship. Okay, This was the manual of, of, of worship. It, it was the, the understanding for ceremonies, the laws and the, the rituals at the times. But there was also other things much more than that even. And that's where people get confused by it. And so... I want to make sure that again that, that we see the uh, that we see God's God's word come to life here, and it, it, that it's not avoided or ignored. Okay, because Leviticus is the guidebook for his his redeemed people. It, it, it was showing them how to worship, how to serve, and how to obey God. It, it was in the form of fellowship with God. It, it, it focuses on the worship and the walk of a nation. So again, we we. 
look at this book, and we can look at it from the uh, from the Hebrew from the Hebrew title. I can't pronounce it, but in English it says, "And he called." In, in the Jewish Talmud, which is the um, one of their books of learning, uh, they, they refer to it, re- refer to it as the law of the priests. So, which pertains to the Levites, of course. So, but what we're going to be looking at interesting stuff here. Laws pertaining to sacrifice, uh, legislations. We're going to be looking at the legislation for priesthood and, and the beginnings of the priesthood. Um, prescriptions for uncleanliness and guidelines for holiness and, and so many other things we're going to be seeing. But I want to take us now into the book itself to give us an idea of what God himself is trying to show us. So, in verse 1 through 4, in Leviticus chapter 1, it says, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt uh, sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So if if you followed along in the book of Exodus, the tabernacle was then complete at the very end. And, And now that the place of worship and meeting was complete, now it's time to go over the important instructions on what to do and not to do. He said to bring an offering to the Lord. Now... We will see sacrifices and offerings. Sacrifice can, can be in the same form, though, as an offering. But uh, with an offering, we, we will see other offerings requested by God for, uh, for God and, and others to compare. See, the first seven chapters, we will be seeing personal offerings in a voluntary form. But it starts out with a burnt offering. An offering burnt to lift up the aroma to God. Okay, Noah in, in Genesis, Noah with his ark. When when uh, when Noah finally landed on on uh, on dry land and and the flood was over, Noah went and did this particular offering. Noah was the first one to bring a burnt offering. Now it wasn't commanded of him, but Noah did it on his own accord, and God was pleased with it. So now God brings this as the number one instruction of a sacrifice, which was something done daily by the priest in Israel for the nation. But, again, offered on their own free will, as did Noah in previous books I taught. You know, I mentioned people asked, why so horrific sacrifices for atonement of sin? And it's because that sin was horrific in the eyes of God. These sacrifices accomplished two purposes. See, the animal would symbolically take the place of the sinner in the, in the penalty, and second, its death represented one life given so, the, so another could be saved. And he says, he shall put his hands on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted. And, and again, symbolically transferring their sin, it, it would complete the person's identification with the animal substitute. Now, there is something very clear that God said, and that that he he prefers obedience over sacrifice. But this was the way to pay the price for what was done. Now, God said that it was to be an animal from your flock. 
And that would indicate that you could not capture a wild animal. It had to be one that you had or raised. And that, and that is even harder for the owner if you think about it. So what did the sacrifices teach the people? Well, by using animals without blemish and being done by holy priests, it showed reverence to God first, and the next to demand obedience and submission to God's law. And the last, by sacrificing an animal of high value, it showed the high cost of sin. But what it did was it demonstrated their commitment to God. Atonement in the Hebrew language means to cover. It was covered by the blood of the sacrifice. If someone says, I got you covered, they may have paid for dinner or taken care of something minor, but this was major in the highest sense because death and bloodshed had to take place. Now, even in Leviticus, we're going to see Christ all over the place. We already, you know, already a sacrifice that was unblemished. Except his was once and for all. This was the shadow of things we're looking at. But, but nonetheless, it was instructed by God. And, and for me, it is the most interesting thing that we could look into and observe. But second, thanking him that we do not have to do this anymore. Because of that once and for all atonement done on the cross, more horrific than how the animals were sacrificed, okay? So, it was done quickly, there was no suffering, yet Christ suffered immensely for a whole day practically. But we're observing the way God had it done to get an understanding of why Christ died for us and the significance of how the Old and New Testament come together. In verse 5 through 9 it says, And he shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests. Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron and the priests shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. But the priests, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts of the head and the fat in, in order on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So Aaron and his sons were the original priesthood of the Levites. So the priests would have to assist in the heavy work of killing and skinning the animal. But the one who brought the sacrifice would have to cut the throat while the priest was present to supervise the process. Now, one aspect about the book of Leviticus that is important is that these things that are to be done are done before the Lord, it said. And I believe it occurs more than 60 times in the book. More times it is said in this book before the Lord than any other book in the Bible that I have seen in myself even. See, the blood is a representation of life. As long as blood circulates in the body... It produces life. It, it represents life. But once it exits the body, it represents death. If you've ever lost a significant amount of blood and felt the life drain from you, then you know what I mean by this. You know, I'll never forget what I've seen in a book that, I, uh, that was written by a seminary professor that I had to read while I was in Bible college. I think um, it was in regards to uh, the doctrine of Christ in this particular um, seminary professor wrote this book that while he was in Bible college, he was in a seminary in Switzerland. And him and his wife were uh, driving home at night somewhere on some dark country road out there in the, in the Swiss mountain area. And a deer came out of nowhere, and he hit the deer. 
So he got out of the car, and the deer was still alive, but barely. The deer tried to get up and walk away, but the deer collapsed. And he knew that the deer was going to suffer. So it just so happened that he had a knife in the trunk of his car. And so uh, he said what he did was, as he said in a mercy call, he basically decided to, to end the deer right there to put him out of his misery because the deer was suffering. So he said that he cut the deer's throat, and as he was holding on to the deer, he could literally feel the life draining from it. And while he was doing that, it gave him an understanding of what these guys had to do themselves in order for, for, a, for an atonement of something they did. So he got an idea of it because he had to do something like that himself in a mercy calling. So we look now at the rest of the animals. The entrails would be washed from impurity. And then it would be burnt on the altar that, that was made out of wood. And normally, it was normally made out of wood. And I said that we would see aspects of Jesus in this book because he was sacrificed willingly on two pieces of wood. Now, it was not a typical altar, but, it, but a torture device designed originally by the Persians, then used and modified later by the Romans. Now, I'll find myself saying over and over that how blessed we are to be living in the days we do in regards to atonement. But if, if we were to imagine over the period of years that this form of atonement was done, over the, um, the millions of people in Israel, over so many years, would have to wonder, gosh, the mess, right, of this, of this by the sins that needed atonement. What a mess this place must have been. It would have to, it would have to measure rivers deep of blood for hundreds of miles over the amount of people over the amount of years. You know, praise God for the once and for all from our Lord and Savior. But again, the main goal is to teach what it is saying. But we will see Christ all over the Bible. But as for what we are seeing, it is the order of what God wanted at this time. This was never a go ahead and create your methods of worship and atonement. That, that It's what got uh, many in trouble in Exodus with the golden calf. You know, people were sacrificing things for many years. Um, people were sacrificing things to their gods and whatever have you. And they were sacrificing all sorts of things. But it got so bad that they figured, well, let's go ahead and really raise the bar and start sacrificing people. Let's start sacrificing children. And that is something that God never, never wanted. He detested that. And we take a look at the burnt offering, which was a wonderful picture of surrender. It was a desire to give all to God. It was an aroma to be brought up to God by the sacrifice of the sinner with the help of the priest. And like the washing of the entrails and the burning of the sacrifice, that's what was done, done for us, right? It washed clean. And then our sins burnt away once and for all. This was the beginning. This was the roots of our salvation, and it is very important to know what and why. And, and again, I'm, I'm excited to finally teach this book because, again, there is much more than what meets the eye in a lot of our modern outlooks of Leviticus. Uh, 10 to 13 says, If his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep, or of the goats as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. And he shall cut it in its pieces with its head and, and its fat, and the priests shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. So the offerings would be like uh, the others in procedure, except it was done with, uh, 
with birds, okay, versus larger, more expensive animals. And so um, we're going to be seeing that as well on there too when it comes to uh, certain things with birds. But now the reason for the different animals was, was the cost. See, not everyone could afford a bull or even a goat. So turtle doves or pigeons were an alternative to the larger uh, animals. Uh, let's look back when Mary had when Mary had given birth to the Lord Jesus. She was required to do a sacrifice for the uh, for the law after giving birth. And and again, we will get into that. So follow along in this book to see why. But th they used doves. Okay, they used doves in their sacrifice, which indicated that they couldn't afford afford anything else. Now, it was to be on the altar facing north. Now, that would probably indicate uh, doing that in front of the tabernacle door facing north. Now, as for the outlook of Christ's sacrifice, where that would happen was, well, on the north side of, of Jerusalem on Calvary. And, and the bull or the ox, the, uh, the lamb, the goat, and the dove was mentioned in the use. And the ox was a, it was strong and it was used in working. Oxes were used in pulling heavy items for plowing. And we see that in the strength of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as he was able to carry the cross up Calvary after the most horrific beating known to man, plowing the way to eternity for mankind. We also knew him as the lamb, the lamb that came to take away the sins of the world, a gentle, perfect for sacrifice. And then we have the goat on there, which the goat was seen as the rejected one by his own. As we have heard the term separating the sheep from the goats, and also the scapegoat. All right? They represented that division, the goats did, in the Bible. And, when the, and then we had the dove. In what came down upon Jesus in the Spirit of God after he was baptized. When he came out of the water, the Spirit of God came upon him like in the form of a dove. So after the naming of these particular sacrifices, we've seen these sacrifices, these chosen animals, and a good representation of the greatest sacrifice of all. Now, whether they had a lot of money or very little money, it cost them regardless. Because sin is a costly thing. Now, again, praise God, we don't have to perform these duties, but when we do things in society, uh, sins or whatever, crimes, whatever it is, it will cost us. Money first, maybe time due to imprisonment, though there was no prison system during this time. Uh, we could look at some emotional issues, perhaps mental cost, of having to live with the things we did. We can pay the cost of loss of respect, the loss of trust, the loss of love, unfortunately, in our self-centered, sinful society. If we had to do this every time we fell, I would have to wonder how that would feel. You know, some see this as inhumane. Some see this, some see it as a strange event. But if you think about it, the truth of the matter was it was effective. It said that you had to put your hands on the head of the sacrifice during the process. And, and not just put your hands on there, because the Hebrew word was to actually literally press your hands on the head. Imagine that, if, if you could, doing that to something that is dying on your behalf. It would hopefully detour someone from uh, wanting to do sin. Now let's look at 14 to 17. 
And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. The priest shall uh, bring it to the altar, wring off its head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out of the side and of the altar, and he shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place of ashes. Then he shall uh, split it as its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. That is chapter 1. So now the instruction of the birds of sacrifice. It's, it's interesting. Again, how God chose these two specific kinds versus many others out there. Right? Why them? Okay, because, well, doves and pigeons are technically related. And both uh, both are special in certain attributes. Uh, one thing that uh, interesting about doves is that they're loyal. When they choose a mate, and if that mate dies, they will not mate with another dove. And then, you know, pigeons are uh, pigeons are very intelligent. They've been useful for you know, over the many years. They ha- they have the ability to find their way back home from up to like fourteen hundred miles. And, and that's why they were used as carriers in, in the World War One and other World Wars that we had. Um, and they were used for other tasks as well. But see, these are gentle birds. And, and they're useful. There was no sacrificing of crows. There was no sacrificing vultures or ravens. Because these these are birds that will be labeled later as unclean animals. And, and we'll get there soon. But turtle doves and pigeons... So yes, if certain birds like vultures or crows were to be used, we wouldn't really give much thought. But no, God had a requirement of something else. Something that would make you think. Something that would cause someone to feel bad about what they did. A a gentle, useful, and innocent bird dying because of something they did. You know, I'll say it again. When I was younger, I never gave much thought about this stuff. I had the typical, yeah, that was then, but but what does that have to do with me and now? You know, the the, the common outlook that has that uh, a lot seemed to have in regards to the Word of God and the Old Testament. But you see, this caused me to really put thought into why God required this. If we had any care about what we did wrong. If we had any good conscience, any any form of scruples, this system would cause for something to consider when we sin. Followers of God do not walk in sin. We fall into it, but we do not walk into it. See, there is no status in the eyes of the Lord. If it was the bull from a uh, from a wealthy person, or if it was the dove of a poor person, it was in the heart of the person, right? The remorse of the sinner in what God was looking for. Uh, King David, he said it best in Psalm 51, verse 16 through 17. He said, For you do not desire sacrifice, or I would give it. Uh, You do not delight in burnt offerings, the sacrifices of God, or a broken spirit, a broken and and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. See, he wrote this after he had an affair with the wife of one of his most dedicated soldiers, getting her pregnant, and that being Bathsheba. And then having her husband uh, Uriah killed in battle. David's personal prophet Nathan was informed by God who brought it to King David. 
And this was part of his response to God in the psalm. It was recognition of what God really looks for. This was David's response after he had been found out. What God wants is a true conviction for what we did and for us to never do it again. See, when we fall to sin, it separates us from God. And this was some ways that he gave the people, uh, this was the ways that he, he gave the people back then to make things right with him. But you see, 2,000 years ago, God in his perfect timing said, it's time now for the once and for all sacrifice. Now, this was about 1,400 years before the birth of Christ. So this was going on for some time. And when Jesus came, well, no one knew when he was coming. When Christ died on the cross, he was the firstborn male of a virgin birth. He was without blemish of any kind. Every, there was no sin. Every sin that could be named was cast upon him. And when they would press their hands on the head of the sacrifice by transferring their sins before its death, that is what happened to Christ. One who knew no sin, one who did no wrong, took it for you and I. See, the difference was these animals, they had no idea and they had no choice. But Christ did. Christ did. He did know. And more importantly, he chose to go through with it. And more importantly, he knows you and chose you. But you have to choose him. See, he'll never force anyone to be with him. But you can choose if you feel led. How do I do that? Well, it's a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer receiving him into your heart. And he will come in and be a part of you and you of him. No longer, thank God, do we have to do these things because of what he did. This is the, these are the things that had to be done. But again, I say, I, of course I'm very interesting because God, our creator, gave all of these instructions. And I, I think to myself that uh, as, as thankful as I am that we don't have to do that, I, I still want to know exactly what it is that God had in mind here because it, it basically, again, was was a significance of what it is that Jesus did. And it's important for us to know what was done here in order to realize what it was that he did for us, which was much more in depth. So, if you feel that, you know, man, I've really blown it in life. I, I never, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of, of receiving him. Look. Neither were the people during this day, too, that had to do their sacrifices. The people that did these sacrifices were doing the same things that you and I were doing in our modern age, most likely. People fell. People had to make atonement. But, see, they didn't stay there. They did what was right. And by looking for that atonement, you have that opportunity right now. Once and for all. All through a simple prayer and receiving him. And by doing that, you're securing your, your place with him in eternity, once and for all. So if you feel led, feel free to say this prayer with me. A prayer of receiving him as Lord and Savior. So right now, say this prayer with me, and you can repeat it with me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me of all of my sins, as I confess to you that I am a sinner, Lord. Father, cleanse me of my sins, Lord, and wash me clean of all of my sins. 
is I now, Lord, am a part of you, Father Lord. I receive you. And I thank you for dying on the cross. I thank you for coming and dying for me, Lord. And Lord, I want to follow you now. I want to be a part of you. And I want you to live in me. If you will forgive me, Lord, now and, and receive me as I receive you. For Father, I love you. I praise you. And I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, again, you know, yes, it was very interesting. But you know what? It's going to get even better, right? <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, again, like I said, there, God is the most interesting God is the most interesting person you could ever know, the the most impressive that you will ever be a part of. And through that, he came down in the form of Christ Jesus. So I want you to, to look closely with me and see what it is that he has in store for you. And again, don't be don't be afraid of this book because again, you know, the Bible wasn't written for scholars. The Bible was written for God's people, which means it was understandable. The only reason why there's scholars out there is because they take the time to study this in depth. And so everyone could be a scholar that wants to seek after him in reading his word for what it says. So let's do that together, and, and may we continue to grow together and to walk together with Him. And therefore, we'll be together in eternity, thanking Him for what He did and what He continues to do. God bless you.